I'm Christian, and welcome to the Gemoir Leadership Podcast, a show where we talk about effective collaboration, influence, and leadership in an increasingly complex world. My interview partner is Dr. Dirk Schlimm. Dirk is an international leadership expert and the author of Influencing Powerful People. The purpose of this podcast is to share ideas and stimulate discussion, and it does not constitute professional advice of any kind. If such advice is needed, the services of a competent professional should be sought. The speakers, hosts, and Gemar International Incorporated are not to be held responsible for any use, misuse, or reuse of the content. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Gemoir Leadership Podcast. We're currently in a series on board leadership, so please make sure to check out our two previous episodes on the topic. Today, though, we want to talk about how one gets appointed to a board in the first place. Is it something that should interest you, or what is the process or even a strategy to secure a board appointment? To help us talk about this, we're excited to have a super special guest on the program. Richard Powers is a highly qualified expert on our topic today. And he is also a great friend, so let me introduce him briefly. Richard is the National Director of the ICD Rotman Directors Education Program, DEP, which is jointly developed by the Institute of Corporate Directors and the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management. The DEP is the leading national education program for experienced board directors in Canada, and it is offered at Canada's top business schools. Since the launch of the DEP, 7,300 directors have completed the program. In addition to his work with the DEP and other governance programs, Rick also teaches the Executive MBA, MBA and Executive Education programs at Rotman School, and he is also a recipient of numerous teaching awards. He is a director of several not-for-profit organizations, and he frequently comments on legal and governance issues in various media across Canada. Welcome to the show, Rick. Thanks very much, Christian. Happy to be here. No, we're very glad to have you. And of course, before we dive in too, brief, uh, too quickly, I have to make sure we mention we also have Dirk, our regular leadership expert. Can't forget you, Dirk. How are you doing? Yes, doing well. And it's a, a super special pleasure here, Rick, to have you on the show. We've worked together a lot in, in the DEP and uh, you're a fantastic uh, director and teacher there. So it's it's super to have you on the show. Well, thanks, Dirk. It's uh, it's a good partnership. It's worked well for a number of years. Okay, excellent. What, wonderful. And Rick and Dirk, I know that you two know each other well and often are, are talking and doing stuff together. So Dirk, why don't I let you take the lead on this interview? Yeah. Uh, okay. So so happy to jump in here. And and first question, Rick, I, I'd like to start with is so uh, we're, we're talking about uh, corporate directs today, but but how is the role of a corporate director different from the role of a manager or a senior executive in, in a company? Dirk, I think uh, if we're talking directors, directorships and boards, I'm going to look at it from a governance model point of view, because, you know, there are different types of boards. I recall when I first started getting involved in governance, I sat on a couple of working boards where, you know, we had uh, small budgets, small headcount, and the the board the board director members we had jobs that would normally be attributable to you know operations people but typically in a governance board the the main difference is that the the, the staff or the ceo and their senior management team manage the organization and the board oversees that 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 function and a couple of things happen when the board starts getting involved in operations one they undermine the authority of their ceo and two 
they become responsible for those decisions. How can you hold the CEO and senior management team responsible when the, you know, when the board is getting involved in the in the mucky muck? So it's important that a board understands that they have an oversight role. It does not mean that they don't get involved in operations sometimes. In fact, a good CEO will task certain board members or at least get their advice from them because they bring a certain uh, a certain degree of skill set to the board. You want to you want to access those skill sets. So there is a sort of a, a give and take. But bottom line, board is governance, management, or sorry, um, the CEO and management team is operations. Yeah, Rick. Okay, that's that's a good distinction that that we want to want to work with here. So it's the difference between the oversight of the company and the management uh, uh, side of the company. But also good to point out that that sometimes directors do have to get their hands dirty, so uh, so to speak. And and there are various reasons. Something could be a crisis. Could be something that 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 happens that will draw directors more more into it. But but typically it's a difference between management and and oversight. And and so. Um, Having pointed out that fundamental distinction here, how 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 do I know whether a director responsibility is for me? If at this stage in my career that's something I should be interested in, what what would you what would you point out as something people need to the questions they need to ask themselves when they want to consider a, a board responsibility? Well, it depends on what type of board, whether it's going to be in the not-for-profit sector, the crown, uh, you know, public or private companies. Uh, in the not-for-profit sector, you know, I think you have to have a passion for the cause. You know, I, I get that question quite a bit, Dirk, actually, and that's the first, you know, people say, well, I'd like to get on a board, which one should I join? Well, I can't tell you that. Uh, first of all, you have to have a passion for the cause. If you don't, you won't last that long because it won't be that interesting to you. In the corporate world, I think if you have a passion for, you know, business, first of all, obviously, this is a business position, but again, you have some sector experience or you have some skill sets that you would like to give back to the organization, whether in accounting skills or lawyer or HR skills, you know, everyone comes to the board with different types of skill sets. So a, a willingness to share your experience and your knowledge, the time, because it does, it is a commitment of time. You know, years ago, people used to sit on, you know, seven, eight, nine boards. You can't do that today. It just takes too much time. Typically a board member in a publicly traded company would be spending three to 400 hours a year. You know, how many blocks of three or 400 hours do we have? So, and there are organizations now that monitor that ISS institutional shareholder services and glass Lewis, for example, they monitor those. And, and if you're sitting on too many boards, they're going to suggest that shareholders vote against you because you're overboarded. You can't do the job in the time that you have available. So finding a, a, an organization that you have a passion for, Finding an organization that you feel you have uh, could add skill sets and some expertise to, and some time and interest in doing so are the main requirements. I think that you have to sit down. Do I have the time? Do I have the interest? What areas would I be interested in? And uh, you know, I, I said, understand that it is a real commitment. This is not something that people do for a hobby. Yeah, no, and and, and Rick, I think that's an important point that I think I want to emphasize here one more time. It is a serious responsibility. It's not it's not a hobby. So we have to know what we what we're getting ourselves into. And and you also started to talk about how this has changed, right? How it is, I think, a more serious responsibility uh, today than it than it would have been uh, some some years ago. But but talking about that kind of change here, I, I think in the past the the typical director. Um, is the former CEO. And I think there's still uh, a lot of boards who are looking for that former uh, CEO. Uh, 
but what are and, and I think you, you you mentioned it just now there are other qualifications um, are there any hot skills right now if I use that term that that boards are looking for what what's your what's your view there well you're, you're right you know I, I sort of joke in the class that typically how was a director chosen well the the AGM was coming up and the chair looks down the table and says four words does anybody know anyone and you know we tend to know people who look a lot like us and that really breaks down the idea of diversity as well. So when you talk about high hot skills, you know, let's be fair, the accounting, having a, a CPA or accounting designation is very popular, obviously, because you need someone to chair and, and work on the audit committee, which is one of the most important committees. Um, legal skills, sector experience. So if it's a mining company, you know, some experience in the mining sector. If it's in, um, uh, you know, kind of retail, you know, something like that, retail computing skills, you know, cyber, all those different skills are coming to the fore. But I think the other aspect that we really have to consider these days is diversity. And that's where we're making some headroads. So it's, uh, you know, certainly gender was the first aspect of diversity that we're looking at. I believe I have this right, but I think it was 47% of all director appointments to TSC or TSX listed companies last year were female, new director appointments. So we're almost at parity uh, in the appointments, we're, we're still not at parity on the boards, that'll take a while, but we've made, I, I think, significant gains on gender on boards, but there's other aspects of diversity that are still way behind and we have some work to do there. So it's uh, skill sets and diversity are, are very important today. And Rick, I think, I think uh, we, we also see that firsthand, if you will, in the class makeup in the director's education program. When I think about when we had our first class together 13 years ago, and we we we, we look at uh, uh, the class makeup today. I think we can we can uh, see uh, we can see that change as well um, as well there. So so that that's an uh, um, interesting uh, point here, um, Rick. What? But let me change tack here just a, just a little bit. Um, what would make really, from your perspective, an an effective director? Do you have some examples? You have been on 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 boards where saying, yeah, this is a kind of of person who's saying very effective and then maybe here here's here's something i've seen not so effective so so uh just 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 a comment on on, on that if i could, could put you on well the you're right I, 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 i've seen both absolutely <laughs> the most effective directors are ones that um prepare you have to come to the meeting prepared you know you can always tell when someone comes and you can't see the you know little when you turn over the page little corners you can, that page hasn't been turned <laughs> so they're sitting there with a brand new fresh book or whatever uh, that's changed a little bit obviously because a lot of the materials are delivered online today but the preparation is critical and and doing the homework so that you come to the meeting prepared the depending on whether you're a chair or a chair of a committee uh, i think it's very important to have obviously good communication skills but excellent listening skills and and that's where some directors i think go off the boil a little bit they feel they have to speak on everything uh, you know, you can't be an expert on everything. So oftentimes they're just repeating something that somebody else has said in another way. Uh, you know, I talk that we're all in violent agreement here, you know, so mm -hmm. listening, choosing where you can add value and, and really become or coming prepared to the meetings to discuss the issues that are on the agenda. Also, recognizing where you have conflicts and being prepared to put up your hand and say, hey, you know something, understand that uh, this is an important issue, but I I have a conflict or there's a, I feel there'd be a perception of a conflict here and I should step away for this particular issue. So understanding your role, being prepared and 
you know, active listening skills so that you can add value where appropriate and not just repeat what other people are saying. Yeah, and Rick, I would say as I, as I listen to your talk here and I think about even management teams, I, I think th this is very good advice for, for, for any senior team, but it's good to hear it's especially important on um, on on a board and and so if if sorry you wanted to no Dirk I was just going to say that that um, you know typically a board is nine to twelve maybe a couple more you know maybe a couple less but the average is sort of nine to twelve you know you've got nine to twelve people that really you know are there because of the skill sets that they're bringing mm -hmm. a good chair wants to bring those to give everyone an opportunity to converse with the others so again by the thing that bothers me is where a chair lets someone dominate the discussions over and over again. And they don't, we don't have an opportunity to hear from others on the board. So again, the chair plays a very pivotal role here in, in calming down those more excitable board members and making sure that everyone has an opportunity to converse and, and give their opinion. And where a director is reticent to do that, it's up to the chair to, to, to bring that, you know, bring their opinions to the fore because that's why they're there. You can't sit back and, you know, that's that's the other thing. You know, you want people to speak up, not too much, but you don't want them to sit back and not say anything. You know, why are they there then? So, and and this is good to, to highlight the central role of the chair here. Um, but now to bring us back a little bit to, to, to our topic where somebody joins the board and obviously they're not going to start as a, as, as a chair, but they're thinking about their first step onto, uh, onto, onto the board. What would you think is the right time, if there is such a thing, uh, in one's career to start thinking about a director role? And is there, if you will, a starter role? Should somebody who's really interested in board work start with a not-for-profit? Or you, you, you mentioned a crown corporation today uh, before, or the you know the other public uh, purpose kind of kind of board. So, so what 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 are your thoughts there to get a director career going, so to speak? And and when would be the right or a good time um, to do that? In terms of the right time, I think any time is the right time. You know, again, we all have uh, some available time to give to other organizations. You know, I think you just have to limit it to your own personal circumstances. If you're raising a young family or, you know, you're just starting a new job, you have to be practical about these things. But it's, and I, and I don't want to distinguish the importance or I don't want to downplay the importance of the not-for-profit sector versus the profit. But there's a lot of competition for corporate boards today because they're paid. Um, and it's difficult for, for someone to break into that. You know, we like to say it's based on your skill and, and things like that. But, you know, there a lot of it is still who your network is. Who do you know? Those opportunities often come from other people who know you. Uh, but my advice to people starting out is to, uh, again, target something that you're passionate about. So I, I started my director career in the not-for-profit sector. It was in the sport. I was uh, a rugby player at the time. I love and you know, pretty minor at the time, I thought, but, you know, once you get involved, there's a lot of issues that can come up. So what I did, I got involved in a not-for-profit um, there, and that led to you know, opportunities at the provincial level and then at the federal level as well with different organizations. What I counsel my students to do, the executive MBA students, typically in their early 30s, is to contact an organization that they do have a passion for and offer to assist them on a committee. It's a lot less, uh, the, the organization is making a lot less of a commitment to having you on the committee. What it does is it gives them an opportunity to sort of test drive you. Are you interested in the organization? Or do you have a passion for this? 
Are you conciliatory? Do you get along with other people? Do you add value to the committee meetings? And what we call it is evergreening. What, what the board is doing is they're developing a potential pool of candidates for the, for the board. From an individual point of view, it gives you an opportunity to test the waters. Is this something that I'd like to get more involved in? And as I said, many organizations are, are looking for volunteers, particularly those with skill sets that would deem, they would deem appropriate for their board. So starting off on a committee uh, and then working your way up into that organization's board. And as I said, there's term limits, things like that. You can't stay forever. But oftentimes there'll be other related organizations, either at a maybe a, after the local organization, maybe a provincial or a national organization that you can get involved in as you as you're more interested, you become more more knowledgeable about the organization and it, the ability to give back as well. So starting off small and working your way up. Yeah. So so Rick, I think that's excellent uh, advice. And I want to again highlight something you said when you started your comments that especially when we're talking on for-profit boards, paid boards, it is very competitive. There, there, there is a lot of people who are who are interested in that. And then also the the aspect of of networking right? and and uh, actively networking. And and maybe on that point, I, I recently uh, spoke with a with a first time director, somebody who had joined a. Uh, uh, a for-profit board at, at the first time. And, and so this person's strategy had been to really hone in on their specific industry experience uh, and skill set. And then he actually went out and, and looked within that industry and even actively uh, approached some uh, organizations. And so that that was a, a successful a strategy for, for that person. And just want to get your point, uh, your, your viewpoint on that is that, you know, if I really want to do this and maybe a bit further in my career where even some some people are saying, hey, I'm, I'm finished kind of my 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 my, my corporate career. I'm now looking to to transition and then uh, being quite active in, in understanding the, the value proposition that you can can bring in a specific sector and then networking and, and reaching out. Is, is that something you have seen uh, successful or is it really you wait until the phone rings, so to speak, or you get an email uh, and you get an invitation? No, Dirk, I think you, you do have to be much more uh, active. If there's something that you want, you have to go for it. And there are different ways of doing that. Uh, you mentioned your network, you know, going to corporate events, talks, things like that, expanding your network. Now, obviously I'm very involved with the director's education program and the ICD. You know, one of the ICD as a member organization has a number of events that bring like-minded people together. They also have a matching service where you can register your resume and the, you know, the areas that you'd be interested in over 400 matches per year. So I'm an organization that's looking for a director. These are the skill sets I'm looking. There may be aspects of geography, gender, uh, other aspects of diversity that I'm looking for. Those can all be put into the application, submitted to the ICD, and they do a search through their, you know, their their um, catalog of uh, catalog. I can't think of the right word right now. With the catalog of, of directors that they have, and provide the organization with a confidential list of candidates. So you, you have to be so joining the ICD gives you access to that. There's a couple of other organizations out there that do similar functions, but I, I believe the ICD is the largest one. If you have had a good corporate career, often the uh, thing to get involved or give a one of the search companies a call. You know, organizations use search companies as well. So getting to know somebody at the search company, so when they get a call, they're thinking, oh, you know, Dirk Slim has those, those skill sets. Um, you should give him a call. So 
they're always looking for potential candidates because it's in their best interest to do so. You know, by presenting a candidate, if they're successful, they get a finder's fee. So it's, um, you know, you have to be, you have to be, I wouldn't say aggressive, but you, it has to be a targeted approach. You can't just sit back and wait up for the phone to ring because it won't ring. There's, as you mentioned, there's a lot of competition for these. The average salary for a corporate director, publicly traded company in Canada last year was over $200,000. So, you know, that's, uh, that's a meaningful wage for the, for the amount of time that you're receiving, but they're paying for your expertise and your commitment to that organization. Yeah, Rick, and and here, uh, as our listeners know, on the on the Genoa Leadership Podcast, we we like to keep things very practical, and so so I think we just uh, Rick, got some very practical uh, advice from you there. But we know that you are the the national director of the Directors Education Program. You just mentioned it. Maybe this is a good time to uh, you know <laughs> give the opportunity for for a bit of a plug here, uh, because I think it has been a a fantastic and very, very, very successful uh, program. So, so maybe for people who are interested in boards and and are considering the director's education program, maybe you can uh, provide a few highlights to 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 maybe whet people's appetites here a little bit. Thanks, Dirk. I know that the ICD and Rotman will certainly appreciate this. <laughs> we actually have two programs. So we have a two-day what we call governance essentials program and that's for starters for people who just want to get involved in governance have not been involved before but have heard about it it goes through the basics it's two days i think it's a, a well spent but really is an introduction to being a director the director's education program which we spoke about that's a 12-day program four three-day modules spread over about six to seven months depending and we take july and august off so if you start in may or june you're not going to finish until the fall so perhaps a little bit longer but it really does a deep dive. And as you mentioned, it is the, it's the gold standard. You know, we're very proud of it. A deep dive on a number of different areas. Dirk, you've taught in the program and your topic, you know, dealing with difficult, well, difficult conversations in the boardroom. You know, one of the highlights of the program, I think. But there are a lot of highlights. And we've been very fortunate in attracting people like you to the program. And, you know, to my great amazement and wonderment and great appreciation, not, not appreciation, appreciation. We are so happy that you're still involved with the program. So, you know, as you mentioned, Christian, as you mentioned earlier on, David Beatty, the founder of the program, still teaching in the program and adds tremendous value. I think he has to be one, if not the most experienced director in Canada. And we've been able to bring a number of different groups, you know, the, the accounting firms, KPMG, PwC, compensation firm, Hugeson, uh, Carol Hansel, Estelle Mechie, I could, the list goes on. And, uh, you know, it, it's, the program is really a result of the efforts of, of a number of people, primarily our instructors and the people that the program attracts. It's an, a wonderful, excellent way to expand your network as well, because they're, you're sitting there with like-minded people. There's lots of opportunity to engage with them. And, uh, it, you know, as I said, we're coming up to our 20th year. As Christian mentioned, over 7,300 people have gone and received the ICD.D designation. I, I'm not in a position to say that boards require a designation at, at this point, but I can tell you from my own experience and speaking with boards and search companies that if you have an, a, a, the ICD designation or, or another designation, there's a couple of out there, it really does go a long way in helping you get on a board. They know that you're starting, you know, you can start with a running start. Uh, you, they don't have to train you. You've had the proper training. You just have to get to know the organization and how your skill sets can help them. 
Yeah. So, so Rick, uh, th thank you for that. And uh, again, uh, my experience, it's been a, a fantastic program. So, so thanks for telling us a little bit more, uh, more, more about it uh, right now. Um, Rick, you've been around, uh, <laughs> you've been around directors, you've been about boards, you've been around companies. And, and so I don't want to let you go here to say, look, we, we, we have some questions for you, uh, but, but let me call it a bit of a free for all uh, question here. So on all of your insights, based on all your insights and experience, so what would be your crystallized, let's call it, uh, advice here as you're saying, and even maybe re-emphasize something you said before, but, but what would you uh, like the things uh, to, to be the things that our listeners really uh, remember from this uh, conversation, what would be the, here are the, the top three things you must know from, from, from Rick, what, what would those, what would those be? One would be that it is not a hobby, that if you're going to get, if you're going to get involved in a board, it is, it's a serious commitment. So committing to the time, you know, attending the meetings, obviously doing the homework that's necessary to be effective, understand that you're, you know, it's going to take some time. So that's the first thing that is not a hobby. This is a, this is a job and it must be taken seriously in order to be effective. Two, I think that uh, understand that, uh, that you just don't join any board. You have to have a passion or an interest in something. And we all have interests. It might be in the SBCA. It might be in the, you know, in one of the medical based foundations. It could be in education. There's so many different areas where your skill set can be so helpful. To organizations and it's an opportunity to give back so you know i'm obviously talking about more of the corporate boards but sorry the more, more not-for-profit boards there on the corporate side it's just as important if not more so and because of the potential for liability and, and i should have mentioned that earlier dirk the liability for a director is the very same whether you're sitting on a public private not-for-profit crown whatever type of board so you have to make sure that you're properly protected no one has ever asked you to put your personal assets at risk to sit on a board. And there are ways to protect yourself with you know, indemnities from the organization, proper insurance in place. You know, I say something like that and people get discouraged. Well, you know, there's liability. Why would I put my, my name forward for something like that? Well, because it's important to give back. It's important to get involved. And there are very practical, reasonable and ways to protect yourself. And the first one is just do your job as a board member. You know, your due diligence defense is the is the first defense that a director can count on. So I guess understand the commitment that you're making, understand it's not a hobby, it's a, it's a job, and understand that that uh, you have a, a tremendous opportunity to make it to an organization, uh, a society, a, a business environment where you can play a pivotal role in guiding that organization forward. So again, and thank you so much for for adding that last point. So I'm I'm so glad I asked that that free for all question that that you could add a little bit more there. But uh, I think I'm looking at Christian. It looks like we're coming up to the end of our time here. So maybe Christian, I give it uh, uh, back to 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 you here for 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 the last piece. Yeah, no, thank thank you, Dirk, and thank you, Rick. That was a fantastic conversation. I certainly have a lot of notes here and as I'm sitting on a board myself for the first time on a advisory committee and being in those board meetings, I've certainly learned a lot that is very practical and I will apply at those board meetings. And I'm seeing how that, that relates to everything you discussed where the time commitment is serious, it's not a hobby and you have to balance those things. So that was great to hear where understanding what you're getting into, doing the homework, being prepared and understanding the difference between the oversight role and 
getting into operations, that was very helpful. And Rick, as you develop that into what exactly are we doing there? How do I just be an effective board member doing the homework and at the board I sit on, they still print out the sheets. So actually reading through those and being prepared and actually listening well, that was critical where oftentimes you might get called on to say something and you don't want to just repeat people. You want to show you're listening well. And when it gets to you, be an effective communicator. So that was another great point that I think is very practical. And those those final conversations about how to get into a board where in this case, I could say I was called up and asked and and that worked out. But for a lot of other boards, especially those competitive corporate positions where there's the 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 salary along with that being active and networking. And you mentioned a number of things I, I wrote down here to make sure to uh, be aware of going to events, matching services, searching companies. Those are all viable strategies to to get those positions. So, Rick, that was a, a fantastic, very practical discussion. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and experience with us. And uh, Dirk, I'll just ask you, is there anything you think I missed there? I think uh, uh, that that was an attempt to cover it all, but uh, if people missed anything, they could always listen back and listen to this again and again. No, no, I, I think that was uh, a fantastic. And so, hey, Rick, last words from you. I just want to say thank you. You know, this is, a, this is an important service you're providing for people and, you know, to be listed with uh, the likes of someone like David Media, you know, very proud of that. So as I said, we've had a wonderful friendship uh, and let's continue. So thank you very much. Good luck with your work as well. All right, thank you. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. That's been our episode with Rick Powers. We hope that you enjoyed and that you'll join us again in two weeks when we continue the series. Take care.